0: This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Toubergen. Glad you decided to listen in today. I've got a terrific show lined up for you today featuring an interview that I did this past week with Mr. Simon Popple. I caught up with him uh, at his offices in the UK. And I'm going to get Simon's take on the current economy and where you should be investing. If you're a longtime listener, you probably recognize Simon as the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. So uh, that is coming up on segments two and three today. If you have not yet requested the June special report, I would encourage you to do so. All you need to do is visit the website, requestyourreport.com. The website again, requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail the report and I'll be glad to do that. The June special report is titled "Midyear Market Update, What to Consider Now for Your Money. In the report, I give you my take on where stocks go the rest of the year, U.S. government bonds, agricultural commodities, and gold and silver, and gives you some thoughts to consider for your portfolio in today's very difficult environment. It's an environment, as I'll talk about in this segment, that I believe uh, probably will not get easier, but I believe where we are now was completely predictable as I wrote about In the third edition to the New Retirement Rules book back in 2018. So back in 2018, uh, I'm going to give you just a bit bit from the book that I did four years ago, and I want to give you a little bit of background information, because in 2018, the Fed began to taper. Well, what does that mean? When you hear the Fed began to taper, or the Fed is beginning to taper, what does that mean? Well, it simply means that, they are slowing the rate of currency creation or raising interest rates or both. Well, back in 2018, the Fed began to taper. That's when I did the update to this third edition of the New Retirement Rules book. And in that particular book, I talk about the phenomenon of tapering as the stock market and real estate markets started to hiccup. I also talked about the fact that this taper, should it be permanent, and I suggested it would not be, um, it would maybe slow the rate of inflation. I want to give you just a bit from that book. Again, this is from 2018, and I'm quoting, however, over the last several years, there has been a dramatic shift away from the U.S. dollar all around the world, while the Chinese currency, officially the renminbi, has been gaining some attention. There is a real and growing trend, and one that anyone who is aspiring to retire should understand. Here are just a few of the many shifts away from the U.S. dollar and moves toward the renminbi. In 2018, the first oil's futures contract priced in Chinese renminbi was sold. In 2016, China launched, launched its own gold exchange, allowing gold buyers to use the Chinese currency to purchase gold. In 2018, the country of Pakistan elected to begin using the Chinese currency rather than the U.S. dollar in bilateral trade with China. The Chinese currency is now part of the International Monetary Fund's basket of reserve currencies. The Chinese renminbi joins the U.S. dollar, the euro, the British pound, and the Japanese yen in this reserve currency basket. Nigeria, the largest non-Arab OPEC oil-producing nation, signed a new deal with China to increase their domestic and international transactions using renminbi rather than the U.S. dollar, which had been used previously. Russia is now the top crude oil exporter to China. At the start of the decade, Saudi Arabia enjoyed a 20% share of Chinese crude exports, while Russia was lagging far behind with 7%. Now the Saudis, and keep in mind this is 2018, find themselves neck and neck with Moscow for the lead in Chinese market share. With both performing in the 13-16% to range, but Russia's share continues to rise as Russia accepts the Chinese currency as payment for oil, while Saudi Arabia still uses only the U.S. dollar. I concluded that the Federal Reserve's printing of currency has the rest of the world looking for U.S. dollar alternatives. And here's what I said. Should currency creation begin again in earnest, this move away from the U.S. dollar will likely intensify. Without massive currency creation, we will have to move to deflation given the significant levels of debt. I concluded saying our economic future is certain. We will have inflation followed by deflation or we will go straight to deflation. Now, four years later, We know where we're going. We've got inflation, but it will be followed by deflation. Because since that book was published in 2018, the Federal Reserve, which is the central bank of the United States controlled by private bankers, the central bank of the United States has created trillions in new currency. Literally out of thin air. Now the result of that, I would argue, reckless policy is now evident. We have accelerating inflation across all areas of the economy. Perhaps it's most evident at the gas station and the grocery store. There's a gas station not far from my office here in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's about $5.20 for one gallon of regular gasoline. Now the Federal Reserve is trying to engineer what they would call a soft economic landing. That's another term that you hear a lot. Well, what does that mean? What is a soft economic landing? I would define it very simply. The central bank wants to get inflation under control while at the same time avoiding a recession. Now, can they do it? Well, in my view, you have a better chance of putting a snowman in your front yard and having it survive from now to the 4th of July. I think it's going to be absolutely impossible to avoid recession, and I believe that we are probably in recession now. Now, I find in my conversation with a lot of radio show listeners and those who attend my new retirement rules class that there is some confusion around the terms inflation and deflation. Inflation is technically defined as an increase in the currency supply. And deflation is defined as a decline or a contraction in the currency supply. Now increases in consumer prices, like you're seeing at the grocery store and the gas station, are a symptom of inflation. But technically defined, inflation is an expansion of the money supply. Now in a deflationary environment... Currency disappears from the financial system as debts go unpaid. And typically, stock values and real estate values plummet. Now, if you look at where we go from here, as I wrote in the New Retirement Rules book back in 2018, my forecast from here is that we will continue to see inflation, but it will ultimately set off deflation. In fact, I find it very ironic that inflation can set off deflation. But history teaches us that this happens time and time again. Now let me point out as I talk about this that the what is easier to predict than the when. The fact that we will have to see deflation at some point I think is obvious. However, the when is a lot more difficult to predict. But when you study history, the what... Inflation followed by deflation, in my view, becomes pretty obvious. In Weimar, Germany, after the infamous hyperinflation destroyed the currency, the German mark, deflation set in. Inflation led to deflation, and that deflationary environment, that recessionary, I would argue uh, depression-like environment, allowed a fringe political leader like Adolf Hitler to rise to power. Now, due to the monetary policies of the Federal Reserve, as I've talked about in this segment, we are now experiencing inflation, but we cannot, in my view, avoid a painful deflationary environment. Now, I've discussed this in the past here at length on the program, but this is really due to one major reason. The currency system that we're presently using has our currency, a fiat currency, and our currency presently is debt. See, prior to 1971, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold. The U.S. dollar was an asset, but since 1971, the U.S. dollar has been debt. Now, after World War II and the deflationary period of the 1930s that came about because of debt excesses, there was this international agreement that made the U.S. dollar the world reserve currency. And the rest of the world trusted the U.S. dollar because it was backed by gold. Now, at that time, the U.S. had more than 20,000 tons of gold reserves, and they promised to redeem U.S. dollars for gold at a rate of $35 per ounce. It took about 25 years for the U.S. to back out of that agreement. And at that time, the U.S.'s gold reserves had sunk from 20,000 tons to about 8,000 tons. And President Nixon saw the writing on the wall. And since that time, U.S. dollars have been loaned into existence. Currency creation takes place because of debt excesses. That's really the topic of my June special report, the mid-year market update, what to consider now for your money, give you my take on where things are headed and what you might consider doing to get your copy of the June special report. Visit the website requestyourreport.com and let me know where to mail the report, and I'll be glad to do that. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with Simon Popple. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. I have the pleasure of chatting once again today with returning guest, Mr. Simon Popple. If you're a longtime listener, you'll recognize Simon as the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. Uh, It is a weekly investing update uh, giving uh, investment ideas in the commodity space. And, uh, Simon, welcome back to the program.
1: Great to be here. Thank you.
0: So, Simon, for our listeners maybe that aren't familiar with your work, could you give them just a little bit of background as to uh, uh, what you do and uh, maybe how you got here?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, look, I mean, um, I sort of initially made my money in, in real estate, to be honest. and uh, But then about 10, 12 years ago, I um, started looking more, more closely at commodities and in particular, um, you know, what happens to the world if we get inflation. Um I, you know, worked in investment banking and property. Uh to be honest I thought I was reasonably successful and then I looked at what happened to my pension if uh, if we got sort of uh inflation and at the moment in the UK it's running at about nine percent RBI, um hoping it goes down, but um I can't really see any reasons why uh that's gonna happen. And uh, so I'm particularly uh, sort of sensitive to to trying to help people uh, in you know a high inflation environment to um, you know to see if we can uh, get them in some things that um, sort of soften the blow.
0: Well, Simon, here uh, in the United States, uh, we're seeing fuel prices at all-time high. Um, if, if you look at a, a gallon of, of gasoline now uh, where I live, it's it's $5.20 a gallon, up over $7 a gallon in California. Of course, that creates uh, additional uh, pressures on on food prices since uh, here, you know, d- diesel is used a lot to transport uh, food from one location to another. So I'd like your take. I mean, there, there's a couple schools of thought out there as to what's causing the current inflation um one is that, you know, it's it's just been uh really almost reckless central bank policy, you know, quantitative easing and currency creation to levels that we've really never seen. Um and secondly, it's uh dude the second school of thought is it's due to uh you know supply shortages due to uh production interruptions due to COVID. Uh well what's your take?
1: Well, I, I think in a way we've got a bit of a perfect storm because you know if you print money then uh there's obviously more money, so therefore you've got you know natural inflation. But then, if you've got supply problems caused by COVID and obviously the war in Ukraine, um, that exacerbates the situation. So, uh, on one hand you've got money being printed. On the other hand you've got um, problems with supply. So you know if you've got less supply, uh, you know the price generally goes up anyway. But then if you've got money being printed, uh, you know it can make it a whole lot worse.
0: So you mentioned that you don't see inflation um, changing, uh, moving ahead. Uh, Do you have an inflation forecast? And if so, what is it?
1: Uh, Well, to be honest, I don't have an inflation forecast. All I would say is I feel it's going to get worse rather than better. I can't see uh, any reason why inflation is going to come down. Um, And um, when I see that, that would be fantastic if it does. But um, with, with fuel prices going up, uh i can't see the war ending anytime soon um and there's a lot of supply chain issues um i think that inflation you know could be around for for quite a long time in fact you know i think the us government has has dropped the word transitory and um uh you know <laughs> we really don't know how long it's going to last but uh I, I think it's better to be prepared that it lasts longer uh, and be pleasantly surprised if it, if it lasts shorter. But um, uh, you know, my view is you, you kind of need to lean into inflation. And um, by by that, I mean um, there's nothing you can do about it. So it probably makes sense to to look at investing in some sectors which are particularly inflationary, uh, because then you know, if you're infla- investing in something where the prices are going up, uh, then the hope is that um, uh, they should get you some of the benefits from
0: it? Well, if you're just joining me today, I'm chatting with Mr. Simon Popple. He is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. Uh, you can learn more about his work at BrookvilleCapital.com. The website again is BrookvilleCapital.com. And Simon, you just made a comment that I, I thought was interesting because when you look at the uh, official inflation narrative, to use that term, it's a term I kind of pulled out of thin air. Here we originally uh had uh you know Jerome Powell at the Fed and 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 his colleagues saying that inflation would be transitory uh then they said that we are going to have persistent inflation and Janet Yellen I think recently said we are probably going to have um, high inflation for the near future so you know this 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 narrative has changed uh to to a little bit more what I would consider to be a, a realistic narrative um it's hard for me to believe that, um, you know, that the Fed is raising interest rates at such a low rate. When you go back and take a look at what Paul Volcker did when we had persistent inflation in the late 70s and early 80s, I mean, interest rates were raised to nearly 20% to get inflation under control. Is there any prayer in your view that that the current central banking policy could, could get inflation under control? To me, it seems like it's just more form over substance.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a real challenge because, I mean, if you look at, Uh, the amount of debt that we've got and you know the cost of servicing that debt is astronomical already um even taking you know interest rates from you know one percent to two percent you know that's a hundred percent increase and um that that makes it very expensive to to service the debt and so i think that tool is not as available as perhaps you know it used to be but um I did you know some very basic analysis in the UK. I mean, if you've got a bank that will give you one and a half percent interest and uh RPI is running at nine percent, then you're you're losing seven and a half percent of your purchasing power um, you know, straight away. And whilst you know, excuse me, keeping some money uh in a bank for an emergency makes perfect sense to me. Um, you don't want to have too much money in a bank. Um Losing seven and a half percent, so you know that's a difficult one. And, and you know, obviously, we hope that the inflation rate comes down, but you know it could go up.
0: So, uh, Simon, you mentioned uh, debt, and when you look at uh, sovereign debt, it's uh, at all-time highs, and you look at private sector debt, it's at all-time highs. Uh, it seems that you know this 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 central banking policy has brought debt up to. Uh, just very unsustainable levels, and uh, you know, maybe created a bubble in stocks and real estate and, and even bonds. Um, well, what do you think the outlook is for an investor that tries to invest, you know, in a traditional sense, uh, like in a retirement account, having stocks and bonds? Uh, it seems to me that you know we, we might be entering a, a bit of a different paradigm here.
1: No, I completely agree with that. I mean, what I like about commodities is you can't print them. Uh, you know, you can't print food. And um, so I think commodities will go up um, significantly. If you look at the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index, um, you can look at that. I think on the Trading Economics website is, is a pretty good way of looking at it. But I suggest you look at it. If you look at it over over 12 months, you'd probably think, oh, I missed the boat. But look at it over 25, 50 years, and um, you get a very different picture. And uh, because you can't print commodities, uh, I think that uh, you know especially if you compare them to other sectors, as you said, equities, bonds, you know real estate um, I think that if if you don't invest uh for, for the modern way, you know if you invest the way that you've invested over the last 20 years, we've had little or no inflation, um, I think you could get quite badly burned.
0: So, Simon, when you look at where we are, we're, we're recording this uh, conversation uh, June 8, uh, and if you look at what markets have done year to date, I mean, stocks are down, bonds are down, and precious metals, uh, which, you know, arguably would be potentially an alternative currency, but also arguably a commodity, they simply haven't seemed to perform the way someone might expect them to perform in an environment that is as inflationary as this one is, um, how, what do you read into that? Why, why do you think that gold and silver maybe have not uh, performed as one would have expected, or or have they, in your view?
1: Uh, well, no, they haven't. But, I mean, I, I, I think we're very early early days, so to speak. You know, I don't think we've uh, – there's been, obviously, a softening of bond prices and, uh, and, and the S&P, but you know, we, we haven't had a, a major correction, or major crash, or anything like that um it's interesting that you know the price of Bit- bitcoins come down uh significantly over the last sort of six to twelve months and um you know cryptos is viewed as a safe haven and they don't appear to be a safe haven um and i think a lot of uh perhaps younger investors perhaps viewed them as a safe haven and uh they've perhaps got their fingers slightly burned by by what's happened there, but. Um, yeah, I, I'm not worried about gold and silver. You know, they've got a lot of value moving forward, as far as I'm concerned. I like the fundamentals, and um, you know, one thing I particularly like, you know, going back to our conversation about supply chains, is a lot of the supply, uh, sort of value added, is over a very short um, supply chain for, for gold and silver companies. You know, you've got the gold, you process it and then you produce gold bars or gold dory or whatever you've got, but you're probably creating sort of 85%, 90% of the value um, on-site uh, compared to uh, many products where you've got very long supply chains, you know, branching across several countries. And um, obviously with, with the issues we've got in the world, uh, I see that becoming, you know, significantly uh, challenging to, um uh to meet supply and you know, the old adage you only need one missing component to 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 stop a uh a, a supply chain is is very true you know it, and you you can't make a television missing um you know a screen or, or you know there's certain things where semiconductors are incredibly important and you, it doesn't matter if you've got every other part if you're missing the semiconductor it won't work, and um, what I like about, you know, gold and silver companies is, you know, they're very simple. You know, you, most of the value is actually finding the gold or silver in the first place and being able to mine it. And, um, you know, so that is is one of the uh, the reassuring parts of of the sector as far as I'm concerned.
0: Well, my guest today is Mr. Simon Popple. He is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. You can learn more at his website, brookvillecapital.com. I'll continue my conversation with Simon Popple when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. If you're just joining us, I'm chatting today with Mr. Simon Popple. Simon is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. It is a weekly update uh, published by Simon, who is a commodities investment expert, uh, giving investment ideas in the commodity space. Uh, You can learn more at brookvillecapital.com. And, Simon, as we were concluding the last segment, uh, you had mentioned that you liked the fundamentals for gold and silver, uh, can we dig into those fundamental fundamentals a little bit uh, you know when you take a look at the the spot price of gold as we're recording this we're in the you know mid to high eighteen hundreds um when you start talking about gold fundamentals what what does it cost to produce an ounce of gold?
1: Well, it varies enormously from one miner to another i mean uh if you look at you now the average is probably between um eleven and twelve hundred uh all in sustaining costs um which you know covers uh, a much broader area than, than cash costs uh, per ounce. Um, so, with a gold price of around eighteen hundred, uh, you know you've got a, you've got a nice margin in there already for for, for many mining companies. Uh, clearly, obviously, it depends from you know one company to another of what their costs are, but um, you know that's not a bad yardstick to use. But it, it's certainly an area. If, if you do see a, a company, you want to have a, a keen eye on whatever their costs are because um, that has a fundamental um, determination of, of the kind of margin that they're earning.
0: So we talked about gold. Uh, talk a bit in, in general terms, if you would, about the silver market. As we move ahead, do you expect that silver will actually track with gold uh, and and the, and the price trajectory there will be upward as well?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's a very interesting uh, situation. I mean, gold is not a million miles off all-time highs. I mean, it, it's sort of I think right around the 181800s, 1850 mark uh, all-time highs being just over two thousand dollars an ounce, whereas silver is more like twenty two, twenty three dollars an ounce, and all-time highs being sort of closer to fifty five dollars uh, an ounce. So, I think there's more scope for for silver to to increase. What I particularly like about silver is it's got a wider array of applications than gold. It's got industrial use. It's used in a lot of clean tech areas, Um, and a lot of silver is um, is a byproduct. What I mean by that is when it's mined, um, the uh, the mining company is predominantly, let's say, looking for copper or mining copper, and um, so if the copper price falls off a cliff or goes down. It may make, may not make sense for them to to mine copper, and um, you know the impact on that is you know you get a higher silver price because there aren't many pure silver producers out there.
0: So Simon, you made a comment in the prior segment that you like commodities because you can't print commodities, and I think there's a lot of sage wisdom in that comment. So when you start looking at commodities. Can you for maybe our listeners that aren't familiar with commodities investing talk about the different subsectors that might exist in the in the commodity space and we've talked about precious metals but can you expand on that a bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean commodities are basically things, stuff, you know, that you, you use to make other things. And there's a huge array of commodities, you know, there's um Energy commodities like you've got your oil, you've got your gas, you've got uranium, things like that, to create uh, power for want of a better term, and then you've got commodities in the food space, you know, like your wheat, your corn, your rice, your soya, um, and there's there's loads of other commodities, you know, like ammonia and things like that, which are used to to make things. So it covers a really broad uh, spectrum of um, of investments. And so, what I like about them is not only are there lots of different types, but you know you can invest in different currencies. So it may be that you you've already got a lot of exposure to US dollar through perhaps a property portfolio or something like that. So you may choose to invest in um, some Canadian companies or some Australian companies or uh, some companies that are based or trading elsewhere. So. What you do is you, you invest and you've got exposure to the commodity, but also the currency uh, that the company has been traded in. So you've got commodity exposure and you've got currency exposure, um, which for some people, perhaps you've made their money in property, um, may be quite attractive if, if all their exposure is in you know, U.S. dollars.
0: So, if you look at energy commodities, you look at precious metals, you look at agricultural commodities. Uh, do you have a favorite subsector when it comes to commodities?
1: Um, at the moment, I I like uh, the precious metals, particularly silver, because as I just said, it was a long way off of previous highs. But I think there's a lot of sense to have a, a broad exposure across the sector, and so not just you know have gold and silver and platinum and palladium but also some energy commodities and some um, some soft commodities so you know food commodities and you know other commodities that are made or sort of used to you know in let's say clean tech or ev vehicles and things like that i mean as you i'm sure you're aware lithium has gone through the roof this year but um you know do I want some lithium investments? Yes, I do. Do I want all my investments to be in lithium? No, I don't. So just by having a broad array of investments, um, you, uh, you, know, you, you, you hopefully stand more chance of, 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 of finding a few winners. Um, I think just to add to that, I mean, given uh, recent talk about fossil fuels, um, people are trying to use in the future less in the way of oil and coal um, and other various fossil fuels. Now, what the next oil is, all gases, we just don't know. But I think if you've got a broad um, portfolio investing in lots of different areas, then hopefully if one area does really go through the roof, um, you know, you, you, you stand more chance of, uh, of having that in your portfolio.
0: So, Simon, you mentioned fossil fuels, you, you mentioned oil. Um, I interviewed a technical analyst uh, on last week's program, and he suggested that uh, it was his view that oil could go from the, the current price of about $110 a, bar- a barrel to $200 a barrel, which, uh, you know, in, in U.S. dollar terms, we could see 8 or $9 uh, per gallon gasoline. Uh, do you have a, a perspective on, on where you think oil prices might go?
1: Um, I must say, I, I kind of I don't like forecasting because there's so many different sort of uh, elements. All um, well, I would say is it would be no surprise if they continue to go up. Um, a lot, the, the amount they go up by depends on so many different factors. Uh, but um, I think the days of, of, of cheap commodities are probably over. And so I think that there's going to be a real kind of um, uh, increase in, in demand as much as anything for people you know, buying commodities whilst uh, they're still around these levels.
0: So, Simon, it's it's my view that you know uh, at least here in the U.S. and and perhaps uh, in the U.K. as well that we may already be in a recession. Um, how do commodities perform uh, typically, historically, in a recessionary type environment?
1: Well, it, it, they vary enormously because recession generally means a downturn in in um, you know production and things like that. So. If, if, if your commodity is one that is uh, used in a, an industry that's not doing very well, um, then you know the price is likely to soften. But if, it, if it's an in- industry that is uh, is doing well, uh, you know the price could could obviously increase. So you have to be, you know, this is why I say you need a, a diverse range of commodities because um, under the commodity umbrella there are so many different. Components. And so you, you have to be quite careful about generalizing uh, from one to the other. Um, you know, what I would say is if you look historically, and I'm just talking about gold here, but when, when there's been a market correction, um, and I must underline the word historically, gold's actually performed reasonably well. So uh, if you're someone who's concerned about a market correction, um, You may want to get some some gold in your portfolio. When I say gold, I'm talking about physical gold, not shares in gold companies, because um, uh, if if there's a market crash, you tend to find that shares in gold companies will also go down.
0: So, Simon, if somebody wants exposure to to gold and silver, which are a couple of your favorite sectors, um, just to expand on what you just said, would you suggest people have physical gold and silver in their portfolio first and then look at mining shares and then... uh, uh, to talk about your, your general philosophy there and, you know, again, in a general sense, and then uh, do you buy ETFs? Do you make specific mining share recommendations? Talk a little bit about your work as well, if you could, please.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, I I use a fancy football format here in the UK, which I suppose, um, if you think of American football, uh, you've got uh, different positions and some are more defensive than others. So, in soccer parlance, you know, I've got the stadium, which would be physical gold and silver. Then I'd have goalkeepers, which are the, the largest mining companies in the world. Um, then defenders, which are large mining companies that typically focus on one or two commodities. Uh, midfielders would be uh, new to production or about to get into production. And forwards are your out-and-out explorers so what i generally say to people is um you know you you don't want to jump in the deep end um you should probably start off by having some physical um gold and silver and then have some uh, some of the larger companies in your portfolio and then as your appetite for risk increases or if it does increase then you you know you can look more at uh, midfielders and forwards but um Investing is you know, it's a very personal thing, and you want to have something that sort of matches your appetite for risk and um, uh, return.
0: Well, my guest today has been Mr. Simon Popple. He is the publisher of the Brookville Capital Intelligence Report. Uh, I would encourage you to check out his work. You can do so by visiting his website at brookvillecapital.com. That's brookvillecapital.com. And uh, Simon, always a pleasure to have you on the program. I always get terrific feedback from our interviews and appreciate you being so generous with your time today and I'd love to have you back down the road. That's great. Lovely to be on the show. Thank you very much. We will return after these words. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Thanks for tuning in today and thanks again to my special guest, Mr. Simon Popple, for joining me on today's program. Quick reminder, if you've not yet requested the June special report titled Mid-Year Market Update, what to consider now for your money, I'd invite you to request your free copy. We'll send you this copy, again, at no cost and no future obligation. You'll also get some bonus material. To request your report, simply visit the website, requestyourreport.com, and we'll get it out to you uh, right away. It comes in the mail with some bonus information. So, again, requestyourreport.com is the website. In the first segment of today's program, I talked about the fact that we will likely head to a deflationary environment once the inflationary environment runs its course. And history teaches us, and it's somewhat ironic, that inflation can lead to deflation. And if you're just joining me, technically defined, inflation is an expansion of the money supply. Deflation is a contraction of the currency supply. In a deflationary environment, currency disappears from the financial system as debts go unpaid. Well, as I mentioned at the close of the first segment, since 1971, the U.S. dollar has been a fiat currency, but U.S. dollars have been loaned into existence. It's a really tough concept to get your head around, that the U.S. dollar is really not an asset, it's really debt. Well, when you take a look at worldwide debt, since every currency now is a fiat currency and every currency is loaned into existence, you'll see just how far off the rails currency policy has gone. Gold Switzerland published a chart that pointed out that it took 2,000 years for global debt to reach $100 It took from the year zero to calendar year 2000 for worldwide debt to reach the equivalent of $100 trillion. Then from calendar year 2000, it took 21 years until 2021 for global debt to reach $300 trillion. Think about that for a minute. It took 2,000 years for the world to accumulate $100 trillion in debt, And it took only 21 more years once $100 trillion in debt had been reached for debt to reach $300 trillion. Now, based on the current spending trajectory, within four to nine years, global debt could reach $2 quadrillion, according to Gold Switzerland. That's an increase of more than 600% from this point. Now, I don't know... The when. But I'm pretty convicted that the what will be a deflationary environment. See, at some point, debt levels have to collapse under their own weight, and then deflation sets in. The Federal Reserve and other world central banks are trying desperately to avoid this deflationary outcome by creating currency. Now, if you look at a chart of M1 money supply, if you look at the money supply at the most basic, fundamental level, the money supply from 2019 has expanded by about 50-fold. About, excuse me, by about 50%. We've seen a huge increase in M1 money supply. In fact, if you'd like to see a chart, I included a chart of the growth of the money supply in my Portfolio Watch newsletter last week. You can go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and check out the Portfolio Watch newsletter from June 6, and you'll see that chart. Now, what does history tell us about massive currency creation to avoid the consequences of debt excesses, which is exactly where we are now? Well, simply put, History tells us this policy will not work, and in my view, there cannot be an economic soft landing, which, from the Fed's perspective, would be getting inflation under control and avoiding recession. Now, Michael Snyder uh, wrote a piece last week that pointed out that some of the economic data is starting to bear out the fact that this soft landing is going to be very, very difficult to achieve. According to a Harvard-Harris poll that was recently conducted, 56% of Americans say their financial situations are getting worse and only 20% say their financial situations are improving. Another new survey has just discovered that 66% of Americans have avoided social events because they felt embarrassed or uncomfortable about their financial situations. The housing bubble, as I have been predicting, appears to be bursting. At this point, sales of new single-family homes are falling at a pace that can only be described as frightening. Sales of new single-family houses in April fell by 16.6% from March and by 26.9% from a year ago. That's the lowest since the lockdown of April 2020. After breaking an all-time national record in March, the average price of a gallon of gasoline in the United States has gone 42 cents above the old record. And is now sitting at 4.59. A week later, it's even higher than that. The average age of a car on U.S. roads has reached an all-time record high of 12.2 years. Americans continue to delay replacing their current vehicles because new vehicles have become unaffordable. Millions of American families are now struggling with rapidly rising food prices. The index for food away from home increased 7.2% over the last year. Food prices were up 9.4% in April from the same time last year. That's the biggest jump since 1981 when interest rates had to be increased to 20% to get inflation under control. Grocery store prices up 10.8% for the year ending in April. I could go on and on, but the bottom line is the economy appears to be weakening. And when you couple that with the fact that the stock market has declined, that has taken about $20 trillion of household net worth out of the economy. And a new CBS News survey found that 74% of Americans believe that things are going badly in this country. So... Are we seeing the beginning of this transition from inflation to deflation? I believe that we may be. And I would encourage you to get my June special report, the Mid-Year Market Update, What to Consider Now for Your Money, to give you some ideas uh, to help you potentially navigate where we go from here. You can get a copy of that report by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, requestyourreport.com. Just let me know where to mail the report. I'll be glad to get it out to you. Uh, along with some bonus information that I think you'll find to be very timely. Also, if you are not utilizing the free resources available at the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates website, I would encourage you to do that. The site is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. You can get the weekly headline roundup newscast there as well as the weekly newsletter. And it is all free. Again, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use, and I'll be back again next week.